Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, gentlemen, we got a lot to cover tonight. Um, we've got the Citrus Bowl coming up on Friday. We've got a Northwestern men's basketball team ranked number 19 in the country. Uh, we got a women's basketball team ranked number 15. We've got a football team ranked number 15, the first time in Northwestern's history that all three have been ranked at the same time. Um, and we should add, and I saw this on Twitter, we should add also a school ranked ninth in the current U.S. News and World Report because that combination of four things has only happened three times in recorded history. So it's a uh, rarefied air right now. <laughs> uh, but before we get to all of that, I just want to wish both of you guys a happy holidays and also a happy anniversary. Uh, this is begins our 11th year. This is our 10th year anniversary of starting this podcast. Is it uh, our episode one dropped right around Christmas of 2010 as we were doing our bowl preview that year. Um, so gentlemen, 10 years strong and go, and we're still going. It is. It's amazing. It's amazing that we're already headed into year 11 and everything that's happened since then. It's also funny too, because this is such a janky year that pretty much like clockwork every year since then, we've been doing bowl previews. And not only are we not doing bowl previews this year, um, we're not even going to lead this pod with the preview of the Citrus Bowl, <laughs> which is such a such a bizarre thing. But I mean, like you know, in something unless bizarre... you worry, like we we will we will get to the Citrus Bowl, and unlike when we were when we previewed Texas Tech uh, Northwestern in our first podcast ever. I think we know a lot more about Auburn than we knew about Texas Tech back then. Very yeah, true. true. So, yeah, men's basketball. Um, how about it? With wins against Michigan State, Indiana, and Ohio State, ranked number 19 in the country, top of the Big Ten at 3-0, and 6-1 and overall. Wow. I mean, like... None of us. What, what no, is happening? No what one saw happening? this coming. Like I, I mean, just, I like, I want to build on. So la- last podcast, we did a bit of a like a like a chronological retrospective of one of the craziest four day stretches in Northwestern sports that any of us can imagine. With you know the the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State on Saturday, followed by um, bowl news Sunday morning, and then this out of nowhere upset of Michigan state on Sunday night. And then all of the transfers and transfer portals and going pros and fits rumors that, that percolated Monday and Tuesday, we recorded what I think Monday night. And then on, was it Tuesday? We played Indiana. It was, yep. it was, it was on the it was, heels it was of Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. So it was on the heels and I, like, it wasn't a much ballyhooed game. I think, you know, it's funny, a lot of, and you fans, myself included, have had this experience many, many times with Northwestern basketball where we win a big game, we get a big upset. We like we certainly hadn't had one as big as that Michigan State game, which we talked about last episode, but in terms of like their ranking, right? Like a top five team, et cetera. But we've had huge wins and then almost invariably 
the team goes on to kind of have a disappointing crash down to earth the next game. And that didn't happen against Indiana. We led almost the entire game. We withstood a couple of, of comebacks from them. And then, um, when we did eventually relinquish the lead, uh, reversed reversed course and put the game away with authority yeah i think it's funny too because you know if you think in terms of like highlights obviously michigan state there was boo booey just absolutely going off in that game um and then chase Adija's second half performance um in the indiana game and to a lesser extent in the ohio state game also and people talking about him as this amazing like break glass guy in the second half to get things done. Um, And his performance has been absolutely heroic on both ends of the floor. But um, one of the big things and something that we talked about is the lessons learned from the, the pit game, right? And the claps against pit and what wasn't done in that game and what kind of had us pulling our hair out coming out of that game. And the way the coaching staff has really kind of adjusted. And we talked about it on Twitter, but, um, Credit to, to Chris Collins, who, again, like has had a, a star-crossed career at Northwestern, to say the least. Um, and I, don't, I would say that we have not pulled punches when talking about Chris Collins in the past. I think we've been very fair. And it's certainly fair right now to say that he is doing a really good job of coaching. And I think the biggest thing about that is, you know, the Indiana game was a real battle. And again, we, you know, we had the lead, gave it away, came back, and Adige did really well. But if you watch the tape of that game, one of the, the really big things that you see, and it's reflected in the stats, is that the guard minutes, which went up coming out of the pit game, and, you know, that the heavy use of guards was, a, you know, a big reason for the success against Michigan State, those numbers went up even more in the Indiana game. And you can really see in that game the way the three-guard lineup is just making things go and that you've got um, Bowie out there as much as possible, Gaines out there as much as possible if he doesn't get into foul trouble, um, and one other guard, like an Adige-Berry kind of combo, although we've seen Ryan Greer get some minutes, but just the way that Miller Cop three guards and either Pete Nance, Ryan Young, or Robbie Barron the amount of movement and spacing makes this a team that doesn't even remotely resemble last year's team. You watch it moving and you watch it going. Um, and then it all culminated in the Ohio State game where I think it's fascinating because you really realize that it's, you know, there are going to be times when this three-guard lineup, as, as much improved as it makes this team, it's not a panacea. And things can go wrong within that and I think one of the things you saw was I believe right cop got banged up for a stretch I think in the second mm-hmm. half yeah, hurt, hurt his thumb uh, right of the Ohio State game and we went four guards and Ryan Young it was the full-on like Carlos Carlos Boozer uh era Duke offense that Chris Collins would have seen firsthand sitting Wait, do, side do you mean, by side do you mean the Duke team that's currently ranked below Northwestern yeah amen <laughs> brother amen um, Sorry, I, I, had, he, I had to throw that in there. That of course, carry on, please. Yeah, you, ha- you, you have to. Um, but, you know, Colin, that's the system. Collins would have seen that firsthand, seated right next to the Coach K on that bench, right? And, um, and, and here's the thing. That was done kind of out of necessity. And even us who, like, love guards, like four guards, you're going like, wow, this is just crazy. And the thing is, offensively, it was somewhat effective. But 
I think the big thing about this game compared to the other two games in this three-game conference start is Ohio State's a good offensive team, and they hammered us down low. And when we were going three guards for a lot of the game, and certainly when we were going four guards, they were just getting to the rack. Um, because they did not shoot well in this game. They went four for 20 from three-point land, and yet in the second half were getting to the rack, getting to the rack, getting offensive glass, um, getting easy buckets. And it was just bleeding that we couldn't stop. And I give Chris Collins all the credit in the world because he knows, he's seen it, and you see in the adjustments Northwestern spent, he knows he needs three guards out there as much as possible, but he was getting gashed, and he made the decision to go with a big lineup late down in the stretch. So it was Nance and Young, which is two big guys who are not particularly fleet of foot, right? And Cop, and then when you go with that lineup, you're also taking gains off the floor because you've got to have offense. So if those three guys, it's going to have to be uh, Adige and it's going to have to be Bowie. And that, you know, it was, a, it was a risk because you watch that offense and it's sort of, you can see the ghost of last year's team in that set when it's on the floor. It worked just enough because it was enough to stop the bleeding the defense stepped up, Young, Nance, um, and Adish, who went out of his flipping mind on the defense of that block. Oh, my God. Um, but, the, but it was enough. And they got, they, got, they got fast break baskets and some other stuff, and, and it was enough to get the win. Well, you, you mentioned the specter of last year's team, and I think that's a really important comparison for a couple of different reasons. One— Let's just let's just talk about the guards who were on last year's team for a second. <laughs> oh boy! So you Guard, so you had Pat you're, Spencer. You're, you're just gonna you're gonna say plural, huh? Guards, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, the guy the guys that played right. So you had Pat Spencer, right? Who was you know the the um, the lacrosse transfer playing basketball for the first time in in many many years and um, doing it well. I mean, and doing it well to to his credit, he he he. Um, did quite well for himself. You had Boo Booey, who played a fair amount of minutes as a, as a true freshman. You had, I I guess AJ Turner was a guard, <laughs> but I mean that's part of the problem, right? I don't know, <laughs> right? And and then you've got Anthony Gaines who got you know injured what right around um, the beginning of Big Ten play, I believe, and knocked out for the rest of the year. So he didn't play at all in the Big Ten. And then you had Ryan Greer who looked frankly lost oh, and really didn't see the flare the floor very much. So you're talking what? Wh- you're talking zero experience once gains went down and just no options. And what's fascinating to me when you look at this team this year and the way you just described, John, those those opportunities and what the coaching staff did with their lineups, they didn't even have those options last year. And something that stood out to me very, very much after the Indiana game, I was I listened to the or watched the postgame press conference with Collins, and I think this coaching staff had to eat, I think last year was was the first year that they really had to sit back and eat some humble pie. And it wasn't about injuries and it wasn't about, you know, losing out on on talent transferring in. And they had to really look themselves in the eye and be like, wow, like we had we had a lot of stuff going for it and for, for us and we kind of fumbled it and we had some hubris and and we need to we need to own up to this. And I and I realize I'm inferring a lot, but to me what matters is in that Indiana game with all the coaching stuff that John just talked about, Collins's answer to what has helped the team down the stretch 
in 2020 finish games and they couldn't do last year. And frankly, many, many times in years past, he gave it, he gave all the credit to the players. He said, it's the guys in the huddle standing up, taking ownership. It's the way they're executing on the floor. He did not for a second talk about the shit he or his staff have done. And they've done plenty, right? And there was another question about uh, Pete Nance and the emergence of Pete Nance. And, and this, he did give a little bit of credit to the coaching staff here. He said, you know, we talked about this. I've been talking about this since the preseason. Like Nance is, is a unique type of player. You want to surround him with shooters and give him the space to operate. You know, you're not going to just post him up, right? Like you, you want him to be able to pick and roll or, or do these different things that we're seeing him, him do out there. And you have to surround him with the right type of players to do that. But again, once again, he gave all, he gave credit to the players and the way that they figured the system out, the way they're just playing heady um, chemistry laden basketball out there. And I think I, I, I can't go back and cite Chris Collins post-game press conferences of the past to articulate the, the, the opposite of this, but it just, it, it, it just resonated with me that this coaching staff is in a different mind space and a different, maybe more um, self-aware uh, space than they've been in the past. Um, vis-a-vis, we're going to come in and we're going to fix Northwestern. We're going to turn it into Duke. And um, I think like, like as a result, to me, everything is clicking uh, both with the players that are on the court and, and, and the options that you see out there. Chase Audige, like I talked about him last last podcast, but John, you mentioned that defensive block. His defense has been incredible, and I think the fact that he can he can do that makes it so much easier to take a gains off the floor in crunch time. And we just haven't had those types of options in the past. I, th- I think what's interesting is you know you you look at last year and just the absolute youth of the I mean, the team was so young last year, and but pretty much everyone is back. You add Audige, who was with the team last year uh, while redshirting. Um, you know, Bowie's got another year under him. Miller Cops got another year under him. And, you know, how many times do we see pictures of him, like, in the gym throughout, you know, quarantine, even before, uh, or not before, but, like, throughout quarantine, working out, and we're just like, God, this guy's going to transfer, isn't he? Like, he is on his way out. Um but well, when I just I think like Cop is still leading the team in scoring. He was the leading scorer last year with 13 points per game. He's still the leading scorer this year with 15 points per game. But and John, you you documented this last podcast. Like the way he's getting those points is like could not be more different yeah. um, from the way it was in the past. And that he can be a true off ball guy coming off of screens, looking for open looks. He doesn't have to be the center point of the offense like he was last year. And it is. Like he's thriving in it, right? No, totally. And I think to to go back to what I was saying before about the that stretch lineup, right? The stretch lineup that was the defensive lineup, um, offensively hamstrung, but the the move that Collins made, right, to to stifle Ohio State's offense, um, and you know, and 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 roll the dice and be like, we're going to get buckets where we can if we create turnovers, we get fast break points, right? We found a way to work some backdoor stuff, like some almost Carmody era stuff. And, and it all it all came together, right? It was a calculated risk. It was a gamble. It was the right gamble. And it worked. But it's funny, at the time, watching those sets and then seeing, and I was talking about the ghost of last year, right? Because when you talk about Pete Nance, you talk about, um, you know, Ryan Young. 
when I'm saying that this is a bad off, you know, you know, a less effective offensive set, it's not the guys, right? But you see Nance in that set get pushed out to the perimeter. And to your point, Scuzz, what you were just saying about what Collins talked about in the in the press conference, we've all seen this season, he's like a different person when you put three guards out there and put him in the low block and be like, you're going to have all the oxygen you need on the inside. Work your magic, work your moves, set screens, roll off of that, set false screens and cut to the hole. And he just loves that and eats off of it. And you see Young's really effective there too. And it, it gives you the, the, the option, right, to be like, look, we have a heavy package that we can go to if we need to, to make an adjustment based on something that another team's hitting us with, which is exactly what happened in the Ohio State game. And we can do that without us as fans being like, oh my gosh, like here it goes again. And it's like, no, like if this team wants to just run and play track meet basketball, like it's doable. Like we played that with Ohio State for as long as they can. And Ohio State was just like getting to the rack. Like that's the thing, like that's coaching. You have to make adjustments. You have to find ways to make it work. Um, I think one of the one of the big things, and, and this will be something going forward, is obviously Barry is a heck of a player, and he's not a perfect player by no means. He's you know to your point, Scuzz, like Barry's young now, right? Like he's only played a handful of college games in his career. You see the potential. You see why this guy was such a big recruit, but. At the same time, you look at these sets and you you see, you know, Bowie, who is, you know, offensively playing out of his mind right now. And then you think, you know, as as often as you can, of Adige, Gaines, and Barry, two of those guys are going to be on the court with Bowie as often as possible. I mean, it's it's a great lineup. And this is, as of right now, suddenly, this is a team where, at the start of the season, we're like, okay, cops the guy... And, you know, to what you were just saying, it's like, cop's the guy, and he's going to be kind of forcing stuff a lot. And instead, now it's like, it's there's balance. There's so much balance. There are like eight or nine guys where you're like, yeah, this this guy's going to be able to get buckets when he's on the floor because of the way the team works. And, yeah, it's, it all comes together, makes this a totally different team, and makes it, the yeah, the 19th-ranked team in the country. I haven't enjoyed watching a basketball team play for Northwestern this much uh, on the men's side since... We had the the John Sherna, Juice Thompson, Drew Crawford team, and that was just because I loved those dudes. Like the basketball itself was pretty ugly. Um, these guys are playing a really fun brand of basketball, and that's that. I mean that that's like all I all I can think about at this stage now since it popped into my mind like two days ago, and I texted you guys is Patrick Baldwin Jr. is not playing high school basketball right now. He's injured. All. He's just sitting around watching teams play, and I hope that Northwestern is on his screen, and I hope that he is thinking about what he could do in the mix with this crew next oh, year. Oh, wow. Amen. S- Amen, brother. Slobbering saliva just dripping at, at that possibility. <laughs> Can we talk about Boo Booey's three-pointer to ice the game against mm, Ohio State? Mm. Just the stones. I mean, that was like – talk about a heat check. I mean, he has got the guy all over him, and – just head fake, head fake, and just just goes up. Like, oh my god, just amazing. And you know, and what what's even even cooler? Um, you know, so Bowie makes that shot, comes down, is involved in uh, in the takeaway uh, that you know prevented Ohio State from taking the lead. 
he misses the front end of a one and one giving Ohio State that possibility. And he's beating himself up after the game that, you know, he could have really put it away had he hit those free throws. Immediately after the game, like during Collins' press conference, Bowie is out on the floor shooting free throws. Like five minutes after the game is over just to try to to work on that. I mean, this kid's got moxie and it, it's really cool to see. I, I'm, we've definitely seen a lot of, you know, three-pointers to win games or three-pointers to go up late in games from Northwestern over the years, right? But, like, as I'm replaying them in my head, like, there's there's the amazing Michael Jenkins beat Iowa, like, bounce on the rim one, but that, like, I don't think they were expecting him to shoot necessarily. Um, Kevin Koble was always such a, just a, like a crazy shot, artist um Sherna had to be open right like he wasn't like 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 if Sherna was at was in that same position that Bowie was in he'd have a guy right on him right like he didn't he didn't do a lot of like head fake step fake he didn't create his own shot three okay he he couldn't yeah he just couldn't create his own shot Vic Law maybe um Brian McIntosh maybe I, like Craig Moore is another one who comes to mind of just somebody that would kind of like run around like crazier on the outside and like get off a screen and be able to launch a launch a long three. It just like the ability of Bowie and Audige to create their own shot is electric and totally, totally changes the face of what this basketball team can be. Well, and, uh, and, and the offense too, right? So it's like those guys and just like the motion of the offense, they've get, they're given the freedom to work and they're really good at it. I think too, you know, to kind of expand on, on what Sam was saying earlier, kind of about Bowie, I think last year, you know, with all the fans where you're desperately looking for some sort of glass half full thing, one thing that everyone agreed on last year was like the level of effort, right? Where it was like, you look at a guy like Ryan Young, and he's giving 110% all the time he's out there, right? And Nance, who look, you know, who granted, like look lost at times over the past two years, he's giving 110% too. And like, that's obvious, especially on the defensive end, right? Barron, same thing. Cop, same thing. Gaines, Gaines, same thing. You know, Gaines, especially, you know, on the defensive end as one of the best defensive guards in the conference, right? But then this season, Bowie, Adige, and Barry are cocky as hell. Those dudes have swagger. And it's like, you've got a bunch of guys who are giving their all. But then you've got three guards who are like, yeah, I'm the best guy on the floor as long as I'm on the floor. And I think of, you know, that block um, of Adige's in the Ohio State game, but really that series of his down the stretch and, and, you know, folding the Indiana game into that where he's like, yeah, I'm the best player on the floor right now. And you look at some of his, like, you know, advanced stats numbers in the Ohio State game and they were not good, but that's because the guy's a gunner. Like, he's like, and he and Bowie, of course, we know can run hot, run cold. But you take a bunch of guys who have real offensive swagger, add a bunch of guys who are really high effort. And give everyone a system that's based on like three guards and dribble drive motion and just getting to the rack and creating open spots. And like Scuzz said, suddenly this team isn't just good, it's fun. They're fun to watch. Um, And it's, you know, it's all just so exciting. One thing that, uh, you know, we should definitely kind of temper our expectations a little bit um, as we just look at the schedule coming up. 
we're we're recording this on on monday uh the 28th uh tomorrow night uh we're at iowa number 10 uh sunday at number 16 michigan thursday at home versus number 15 illinois next wednesday the 13th at ohio state we just saw them they're a fantastic team sunday the 17th home against iowa take a, a slight breather on the 23rd against penn state in happy valley then at Wisconsin, number six, who just lost tonight to, uh, um, I, I forget, Ma- yeah, Maryland. Maryland. Um, the Big Ten is nuts. At home versus Here's, number 14, Rutgers. At home versus number six. Oh, like, there are nine uh, ranked uh, like, teams in the Big Ten this year. Oh it's, oh, it's insane. Like A lot's being made of the fact that we play eight ranked teams over our next nine games. Folks, we only have five unranked teams left on our schedule. <laughs> like it's the big 10 is just ludicrously good, but that was something that was known, right? Everyone, like, even we were like, well, the team's going to be better and it's not going to matter because the deep, the big 10 is just unbelievable. It's like, they are unbelievable, but, but we're part of the mix. It's, it's true at the same time. Like it's, it, the, the, the teams, like we play Iowa twice. We play Wisconsin twice. We play Michigan twice. We play Illinois twice. We play Rutgers twice. Those are the those are the top ranked teams in the conference, especially now that Michigan State. Um, I think they lost yeah, to Minnesota they're 0-3 again tonight in, the, in conference. So, yeah, Michigan State maybe not good. I don't know. I don't know. But like, um, like, like Maryland with that big win. Minnesota is now Minnesota knocked off Iowa prior to beating Michigan State. So like, luckily we only play them once. But um, I I would I would argue there are other schedules in the Big Ten that are not as hard as ours. Um, or that maybe don't have a stretch quite as as wild as this, especially playing Iowa twice. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Like I, like Iowa is. Um, I forget the name of their 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 big guy down low. But a- after that, like, are they just a bunch of three point shooters? Like, is that a team that we actually have the offense to run with now? I, I just I don't know. We're, we'll we'll see tomorrow night. L- Luca Garza what, is the guy you're thinking of. Yes, Luca Garza. Thank you. Twenty eight so we'll points what it, a game. What it looks like. Yeah, ten rebounds um, so, a game. And I, he's he's really good. Uh, I don't like he's 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 going to be an NBA center. Like what what more can you say? You know, c- can we get him in foul trouble? Can we, you know, if we play Baron and and Nance and bracket him? Like what is that? Like what else do they have? Right? Like you can generally hope to at least influence the the best thing that somebody else does and then and then see what they have in the in the hip pocket and we'll see what they have i, I wouldn't hold your breath on getting him in foul trouble he's only averaging 2.4 fouls a game lord almighty <laughs> yeah. yeah i so the, you know the other thing that i that i would add in right is right like we're going into the meat grinder of all these insane games and i mean Garza. we've been in the meat grinder like we're three games oh, into for, the meat grinder so let's ex- this is exactly very true Exactly. And that's one of the important things, right? Because, I mean, this is we're playing 20 conference games this year. And I think one important thing to keep in mind is this: there should not be an expectation that we're going to continue this Cinderella run of running the table. That's not the goal. If it's firmly established that you play in the best conference in the country, come tourney time, that carries a massive amount of weight. From here on out, we just need to give as good as we get. If this team is slinging and throwing punches and in the mud with all the rest of this team in the conference, if we're winning one for every one we lose, that's 
phenomenal. We're going to the tourney if that happens. So basically what you're looking for from the team is like, yeah, it's not like we're going to continue to win every game. But if you continue to see this team show up night after night after night, suddenly like, you know, you're looking down the road and you're like, this team playing this way against this schedule will win enough games to get us where we want to go. And that's back to the tournament again. And if we go 500 from here on out, um, you know, that puts us at, uh, there's what, we're, uh, 17 we're, games we're left. Going. So eight, that's, you know, 16. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's this year with, with no non-con, if, if Northwestern splits its games from here on out, we're going to the tournament. I mean, that's true of any big 10 team really. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I mean it's 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 phenomenal. And again, obviously, like we're all like thinking top twenty five now. How high can we go? Well, pump the brakes. You know, it's it's going to be haymakers. It's going to be knockdown drag out from this point on. But this team's shown that they can that they can handle that and that they'll get it done. And honestly, as long as they're playing well, like we're we're going to lose games. It's going to happen. Like it, it it is. As long as like we can take a stretch of losses and not let it completely implode the confidence of this team, which I, I don't know. Like it, it feels like the confidence of this team is at a, a level that we haven't seen in several years. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to, uh, to Auburn, to the Verbo Citrus Bowl uh, taking place on Friday. Um, you know, this is an Auburn team as, as we kind of, try to get a sense of what it is Northwestern is going to be looking at as we get down to Orlando. They fired their coach. They're running with, they're going to be rolling with an interim uh, coach, even though they've hired their replacement coach. Um, Brian Harson from uh, Boise state going to be coming in and taking over, but uh, he's not going to be coaching uh, in the bowl game. I'd imagine he'll be like up in the press box and, you know, count, you know, we can probably count the number of uh, cutaways to him probably be at least 10 if not more i would guess um and uh yeah so you know they went six and four this season really should have been five and five uh that that game against arkansas where the refs completely boned them um you know and and you know as as we start to to preview them i i kind of want to keep something in mind as as we talk about their defense talk about their offense a little bit They've had to pause football-related act. Like they haven't been able to practice for two weeks. They they're playing for an interim coach with the new coach on his way in. Who knows what the coaching staff's going to look like next year? How many of these coaches are going to be coaching for their jobs, or are they? Do they know they're on their way out? How motivated is this Auburn team going to be? Like that's that's a real question. I mean, it. It, it is, too. And, well, it is. And then on top of that, again, Scuzz will, will kind of get into their offense in a second and, and give you the, the worrisome bits for sure. Um, bits or but, bit? Yeah, well, right. I, I think the – with that said, though, I mean, it, it's funny because everything you said is theoretically true, Sam. But it's really hard not to look at all this and be like – Auburn is kind of a couple of good players, but they're not really a good team. Like, I mean, again, I you know you don't want to sell a future opponent short. They just don't really look very good. Um, but but if I can if I can opine on that briefly, yeah. like, I think to Sam's 
question, or Sam, to your question about Auburn and showing up in a bowl game, I feel like Auburn often does show up and show out well in bowl games, and a lot of it is because it's a collection of really good players that are all thinking about their draft stock, and this is their last opportunity to put something out there and, and show what they've got in the tank. And if I look at this squad, I mean, there's there's a number of seniors on defense, but the offense is almost all juniors. And surely some of these guys will be thinking about jumping early for the NFL, given all the mania um, this season. Um, that's, you know, that's maybe not true. Of, like, obviously, Bo Nix is a sophomore, but like the wide receivers at Auburn, do they really want to come back uh, and, and, and deal with, you know, whatever is going to change with the offense here and everything else, or do they want to go see what they can do? And if they have a really awesome bowl game, that's a stepping stone, whether it's for a, for a transfer opportunity or um, the NFL draft, et cetera. So I, I, I expect this game, this team to be fully loaded. I think it like, it, it harkens back to 2011 when we played A&M, that, that was Texas that was what I, that was Houston what I was bowl. thinking too I mean the very similar situation they you know their coach yep. is gone they've got an interim what are they playing for Ryan Tannehill showed us what he was playing for uh, yep yes he did and it, it feels like a similar type of situation we're stepping into <laughs> but Bo Nix really appreciating the Ryan Tannehill comparison right now, <laughs> let me tell you not not uh, not, not, not everything I just said does not apply to does, yeah, right. not apply to Bo Nix. He's only a sophomore. He's not draft eligible, and ain't nobody drafting him anyway yeah, based on I, his his current stats. So right. So again, and that's the thing too is like you you have some of this where I mean everything Scud says is true, and you got a lot of recruiting stars here. You got a lot of guys who I think expected more out of this season than they yep. eventually got. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, there's a lot of recruiting talent on this team that just did not come together on the field at all, um, and. Again, this team did not have a win over a winning team this year. They took a really bad loss against a bad South Carolina team. Um, and they got smoked by Alabama and Georgia and A&M. And again, you're like, well, those are all awesome teams. Yeah, they're all awesome teams. But they got hammered by two of those teams. And the game in that was kind of close, they gave up 313 yards of rushing and again like coming out of the Big Ten championship game a lot of you are probably seeing similarities there but it's not really the same thing and we'll get into it that um, that really if you actually dig into the stats like Auburn wasn't really in that game like A&M kind of outclassed them but anyway to look at the defense really quickly there's there's really not a heck of a lot to say here um, what I mean is there you can look and you you kind of if you look at the defense one of the first things that jumps out is auburn is the i think they're like the fifth or sixth best kind of if you look at total defense scoring defense uh defenses in the sec which isn't too bad when you get down within that the big reason for that is they're the number three pass defense in the conference i think only alabama and georgia were better and then it's kind of like what gets weird is when you try to figure out why that is. So Auburn's defense only has one first or second team all SEC uh, player, and it's one second team all SEC player, and that's a defensive end, Big Cat Bryant, who honestly statistically was not a major contributor. Um, he had three sacks. Um, 
not a heck of a lot of tackles. Like he's he's a really strong guy, but was not a major impact performer. Um, and then that that's it. They didn't have any other major impact players. So then you're looking and you're like, all right, so so what's going on here? Well, a couple of things. One, Auburn's not good at run defense. And a lot of teams that could hit them on the ground hit them on the ground and didn't really try um, to throw the ball. And that's part of the reason for the big disparity there is like, for example, Texas A&M, who has a great quarterback, flattened Auburn running the ball. Um, and But then you look at other games like you know, like Georgia being one, Alabama being one, we're like, it's not like some quarterbacks didn't torch uh, Auburn. So then the question is, okay, so what's the deal here? Why are they ranked the way they are? Well, the main reason is, is they sell out against the pass. And they also played a lot of bad teams this year. So I remember, I think we were talking about Ohio State in our last game and the fact that Ohio State doesn't like to bring pressure. And... The fact that Ohio State wants to do it with their front four, and we demonstrated that through the fact that I think nine players on Ohio State coming into the Big Ten championship game had sacks, and only two of those were linebackers. The other seven were defensive line, uh, defensive linemen. Well, Auburn has 14 players, I believe. It's um, counting right now. Uh, or no, let me see. One, two, three. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen players with at least one sack this year. Of those players, more than half are linebackers and defensive backs. And if you look at the guys who have at least three sacks, which is five guys, four of those guys are linebackers. Auburn's bringing heat. They are bringing heat and selling out. And that's why they're third in the conference in sacks. They're just trying to get to you. And it either works or it doesn't. But if it does, they're going to have a lot of negative plays. And if you're a team who can't run the ball at all and has difficulty dealing with pass pressure, that's where they make all their hay on defense. Now, again, this is a top half of the SEC defense. It's not a fantastic defense because if you can deal with their pressure their coverage isn't particularly great, and they also can't stop the run very effectively. So it's like, I don't have a heck of a lot of names to throw out. They don't have any major statistical contributors. Their guys, it's spread across a ton of guys. They try to throw speed at you and make their hay that way. Can I just jump in with a with a quick point of context, and that's that like your stat around like there's them being fourth in the SEC in scoring defense behind those other teams. So I'm looking at the Football Outsiders F-plus uh, rankings, which is, you know, one of the – S&P Plus being the other, the other big one, right? But um, the, the rankings are, are similar. So Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M, who you mentioned, are all, like, top 15 in defense in both of those rankings. Auburn's, like, 40th and 43rd in those two ranking systems respectively. So while they're fourth in the SEC in scoring defense, they ain't top tier when you separate based on advanced you stats. Got, you got the top teams and then the big drop-off. Well, and that's the thing. It's weird. It's like you see that number three pass defense in the conference, and then you start trying to – you start digging in, and you're trying to figure – like you're like, why? Like where – it's like there's no impact player. Like to Scuzz's point, like – 
you probably have a lot of guys who are going to be playing like their lives depend on it for their draft stock because they ain't done anything in the 10 games up until now to distinguish themselves. So if they want to show out, now's the time. Um, so but you, so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really curious how, do you, how you will react to what I'm about to say because I know how you feel about the comparison I'm, I'm, I'm about to levy here, and that's that sitting one spot behind Auburn in the F-plus rankings and sitting maybe, I think, six spots behind them in S&P+. Plus, is the Nebraska defense? Yeah, no, it's and that's the thing. It's it's kind of hilarious in that way, right? Because the one of the big books we talked about with Nebraska, um, especially when we juxtapose them with other teams, is like random skilled guys, right? Like a Cam Taylor Britt, a Ty Robinson, and then a lack of cohesion and overall system around them that gels these guys into a solid defense, and that's what you're looking at. Um, they're and, like, and yet Kevin Steele was a Broyles Award finalist two years ago. Oh, let, and, let's not get started on the oh, Broyles yeah, oh, Award. Oh I mean, God, yeah, well, exactly. Let's don't mention and, Broyles and, Award right now. We're mad enough. Well, well, and maybe more importantly, was uh, like a major candidate for Auburn's head coaching position. I guess, I guess, a lot of the boosters um, really wanted him to take over, but then there were problems with you know like what sort of control he would have over the other assistants etc um and like structurally auburn football from like an administrative standpoint is like a just a, a burning wasteland um i don't anticipate that having a downstream effect into this game but i think it's it's an interesting comparison against nebraska who's similar like can't seem to get out of their own way in a lot of, in a lot of ways and i feel like that's a that's an apt comparison for for auburn I think it's really good to bring up Nebraska when you're talking about the, you know, the way that they're going to try to bring defensive pressure. And I think the way that we ran into trouble in that game, because I think Peyton was having difficulty throwing the ball in the first half of the game. And it kind of led to us having a lot of like third and long situations where we had to throw the ball and, played into the the hands of the one thing that Nebraska was good at doing, which was bringing pressure, right? And um, especially bringing pressure in known downs. Well, that's exactly what Auburn's going to try to do. Auburn's going to hope that they can get you into second and long, third and long situations, and then just bring the house trying to get to you. And it's not to say that that's like they're unbelievable at that. That's just what they're going to do. And I think we all feel like the running attack we'll be carrying into the Auburn game is superior to the one that we had earlier in the season because we feel really good where we are with Cam Porter right now, where we are with the line right now, and Auburn doesn't have a great run defense, and they don't have a particularly great front four. Um, so I think all of that bodes, you know, bodes well for us. It's not to say that we're just going to have some jailbreak, and obviously this is a team that, from an execution standpoint, had some real questions coming out of the Ohio State game. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, getting turnovers under control, et cetera, that have to get figured out. But if those things get figured out based on the execution and the experience here, um, I think we're going to be able to hit this team on the ground. And I think the offensive line um, and the backs and the tight ends by extension are going to be, you know, good enough to, to deal with this pressure. And either way, I think we're going to be able to, to move the ball and have some success on offense. Just just to double down on that real quick before we we pivot, I like I think a lot of Northwestern fans are wringing their hands right now because we've seen Drake, Bowser, Malik Washington, Kyrick McGowan, um, all head to the transfer portal. Right, like those are all big losses. Uh, like contributors on offense who who are who are leaving. 
and that and thinking, gosh, those guys aren't going to be avail- available for this game. Like, what are we going to do? And my response, and it, it dovetails exactly with you just with what you just said, John. The four most important players offensively for Northwestern in our last like four wins are Peyton Ramsey, Cam Porter, RCB, and John Rain, who did not play in the Michigan State game. I might add. And all four of those players, we expect to be on the field on on Friday, and that's I, critical for I how can, we can match up with this defense. And I can give you five more too. <laughs> well, yeah, start, starting with Man Bear Pete and the rest of the O line, right? right? Right, exactly. And no, totally, exactly. Your your point is is totally right. And I think again, I think they're the. This is all a long way of saying. Do not expect that the problems in this game are going to come on the defensive side of the ball. That's not to be dismissive. It's just there are things to worry about on this team that, as we've discussed, is a collection of talent that has not cohered, you know, come together to form a good football team. With that said, I would say the scariest by far part of that collection of talent is on the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's let's talk about their offense a little bit. I mean, Bo Nix has had just a, a rough go of it. I mean, had a pretty mediocre year. Um, some ups, more downs than ups. Uh, but, you know, they're really, you know, everything that they have is predicated on them running the ball. Ironically, his year is is quite similar to his year last year. I think, I, I, however, I think a lot of what happened with Bo Nix last year is he, um, he soared early and he crashed late. And this year has just been a bit more up and down throughout the year. As you described, Sammy, he does not have as many touchdowns. He has more interceptions and fewer games. Uh, his completion percentage has been steady. His yards per attempt have been steady. Uh, his, his running yards are up a little bit from last year. Um, he, he's, he's already attempted more rushes this year than he did last year with three less games. That's telling in and of itself that he's probably, um, maybe a little less confident staying in the pocket and throwing, but I like Bo Nix and the Nebraska comp that I made on the other end is, is, is pertinent here as well. He's a very different quarterback from an Adrian Martinez and that he is not as fast. He's not nearly as accurate. Um, he's a much bigger guy he's not as big as Justin Fields he will be a little he will be tough for our 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 defense to take down um but he's a quarterback that like we can focus on containing Bonix and containing the run game at the same time letting our our defensive backs play on islands and using our safeties in kind of run support and spy support essentially what we saw in the first half against Ohio State they have talented receivers at Auburn, but Bo Nix really struggles to hit them. Um, and I, like, I, I think, I think this game is going to be won and lost at the line of scrimmage in that we talked about it with Jay. And then we saw it play out in the big 10 championship game. Our interior defensive line is something that everybody goes after. And they're, they're watching that tape of Trey Sermon and they're, they're like Auburn specifically is watching that tape of Trey Sermon, licking their chops and saying, let's get after it. Let's attack these guys straight up the gut. We're going to be able to run on them for days. The problem is Bo Nix ain't Justin Fields. We ain't worried about Bo Nix beating us deep. And I think we're going to allow the likes of J.R. Pace and Cam Mitchell and others to help clog those running lanes. Um, 
Bo Nix as a running threat himself is not nearly as terrifying as Justin Fields. I mean, just for comparison, I think with Fields, we're we're talking like with a 10 game schedule, Bo Nix has run for uh, 356 yards in five games. Justin Fields had run for like 350 yards. So it's just like it's a different order of of magnitude here that it, we're dealing with. And I, is there I, a comp that you could, would uh, per, go to Knicks? I mean, it, like it's. It, is he comparable to like McCaffrey or Martinez from Nebraska? I mean, I'm just trying to no because he's less accurate and he's not nearly as fast. But he's probably a better passer, like or like he's got a bigger arm than them. So like he can get it downfield in ways that Martinez struggles with. Like let's say Spencer Petrus could run some. He's probably more. He's like that. That would be okay. a decent cop. Um, may, maybe. Maybe even, um, well, I guess Nate Stanley was pretty statuesque as well. Mertz, Mertz so could move I, around like, a I little bit. Is he? Yeah, I, maybe Sean Clifford is the best Oof, current okay. current comp. I like he just there's just like it. It's I feel like Auburn's offense is a mix of Iowa, and and this is the part I'm getting to next is the run game, especially their offensive line. All the advanced stats for their offensive line are really, really good in the run game, like top 15, top 20 in the country. They drop off dramatically when they get to pass pro in that they're in the 50s on, in terms of sack rate, like across the board. So our defense has got opportunities, I think, especially with that Echoliota. We're probably going to need to generate um, pressure with with blitz packages. And, you know, Hankowitz is going to pick his spots. He's going to let this team chew up yardage. I don't like Auburn's not a I don't know what kind of explosion explosion plays that they've had this year. I I haven't had a chance to dig into that. So I don't know if they rely on those big those big plays, much like Ohio State. But I just I just think they're a different order of of magnitude than than everything we faced in in when you when you think about Iowa's defense, Wisconsin's defense, Ohio State on both sides of the ball. This team isn't as good as any of those entities, but their offense is maybe slightly better than an Iowa or Nebraska, but kind of looks similar. Is is probably the best way. I, to I'm just looking at their stats, and um, yeah, Tank Bigsby is averaging six yards a carry. Bo Nix three point six. Uh, Sean Shivers four point nine. Um, they they're they're not massive explosion. It don't appear to be big explosion plays. No, it's it's not. And, uh, well, and that's the thing too. Like, so I, I feel like we've buried the lead in a couple ways. One, it's this is not a good offense. <laughs> like, if you look <laughs> statist- if you look statistically, like they're they're not a, a good offensive football team. They're they're um, in the they're in the forties in S and P plus and in F plus. So that like, right, they're like they're they're, they're they're reasonable. Right, they're they're reasonable. I would say um, that, and you know, you, you talked about the explosion plays. I think. The, the number one thing this team wants to do is hand off the ball to Tank Bigsby. The number two thing is they run, and I think that this is like a Mulzahn thing. I was looking at like Anthony Schwartz, who's like their like speedy receiver, right? He has 636 receiving yards on the season. 91 of those are on one play, which so like, yeah, like that's a, that's a jailbreak play. But that means like they're passing to run with him a lot. He, like they're, he, he's, he's only averaging 11.8, right? So that, right. I mean, this is like a Wandell Robinson type. Right, they're um, just looking to, to get it to him and, and try to get him right, get him in space, get him the ball yes. quickly. 
Um, and Seth Williams is their third leading, second leading receiver. Um, pretty, pretty close to Eli Stove in terms of number of receptions, and he's averaging sixteen point four. But like, like you go look at Ohio State's receivers, and it's it's night and day in terms of the average yardage per pass. Right, and I think really what Auburn is looking to do, and you could look at their their best performance of the year, which is probably the Texas A and M loss, where they lost by eleven, but it was close for a while. They had the lead for a while, and then they got blown out in the fourth quarter. Um, and you look at the stats, and you're trying to figure out how was Auburn ever in this game, let alone leading it. Because just about every time A&M had the ball, they marched down the field and scored. And then you realize that it's because Auburn, for the first three quarters of the game, completely controlled time of possession. And then the wheels fell off. But Auburn is good at times at moving the ball and putting really long drives together where they take a lot of oxygen out of the game and they they control the clock and they keep it close and they end those with a touchdown. The single biggest thing though, and this is something that, I mean, you can look at the stats, but it's the tape and I encourage you guys, I mean, just go onto YouTube and watch the tape. Tank Bigsby's friggin' unreal. Like this guy's amazing. And... I mean, I would look at it, and I would say he's the best back we faced we faced this year. And then everyone will immediately, in unison, yell at me. Trey Sermon set the Ohio State running record against Northwestern literally last game. Yes, I know. You because watched... we were focused yeah. on fields. Right. Right. Because we were focused on fields. Exactly. Folks. Exactly. Watch the tape. Tank Bigsby's amazing. This is the SEC freshman of the year this year. Hey, wait. Um, don't don't we a... have the freshman of the year in the Big Ten? Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah, ours is also a first-team All-American while we're going there. <laughs> um, the But Bigsby, I mean, and this guy was a monster recruit who had offers from everybody, and he picked Auburn. And he's he makes it all go. And a lot of the time, you know, to what Scuzz was saying earlier, like, like a lot of teams know that, like, Nix isn't handing out explosive plays and is kind of a mess. And... Bigsby, a lot of times, you'll see this guy get the ball and from the get-go at, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Like, they like they like to run spread. They give it to him out of a shotgun handoff. And you can tell the play is, you know, not going where the design... And this is, again, they have a great offensive line run blocking. So, this is I'm just saying, defense is key on him. So, a lot of times, he has to adjust on the fly. And you'll watch him just bounce a play outside or drag two yards from this guy. Like, he's fast. He's strong. He's just really good. Um, and I think, so again, it's like they lack in explosive plays. They have this guy, they have, like Scuzz said, a great run blocking offensive line. They're going to look to, to get him in space or get a receiver in space and try to drag you down the field. Um, and you know, with, with varying levels of success, when they've played great defenses this season, they haven't had a lot of success at this, but when they have had success, that's how they do it. How much are we going to miss Greg Newsom? I mean, obviously, we're going to miss Greg Newsom. He's third-team All-American, uh, but from the AP, you know, Big Ten first team. You know, he's going to get drafted. I, I'm just thinking, like, for this, like, even if he hadn't declared pro, he probably wasn't playing because of his groin injury uh, that he suffered against Ohio State. But you know, I, taking a, a shutdown corner like him off the board, especially when we don't have a great pass rush to begin with minus Eculiota now, how how much how much are we gonna miss him? How much are our corners gonna be out on islands? 
So, I mean, our, our corners, I think, are going to be out on islands by design, especially because Nix is not a guy that's shown that he can effectively attack um, the secondary. But where, where I do worry about the loss of Newsom is in covering Seth Williams. So Seth Williams, I, I mentioned him a second ago, 42 receptions, 688 yards, averaging 16.4 yards per, per catch. He is their deep threat. He's their big play receiver. He's also a six foot three, 200 plus pound, large physical player. The type of guy that we have struggled with in the past, the type of guy that Greg Newsom time and time again, played awesome against. And that's like, that's what I worry about. Like, like Anthony Schwartz running around, you know, Eli stove running around. They're both talented. They're both fast. I'm just not worried about them in the way that our, our defense plays. Like those are underneath type guys that are, fast that we should be able to run with Seth Williams is somebody that it's a chess piece that Greg Newsom could take off the, off the board and can a AJ Hampton or a Rod Hurd or a Cameron Ruiz or like a Cam Mitchell, you know, um, take him out effectively on their own. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll have to see the, the risk is not nearly as great because, you know, I, again, against an Ohio state, the Justin Fields ability to extend plays is and, and, and make throws downfield or beat you with his legs. He's the best in the business at that right now. And Bo Nix has not shown an ability to do that. Um, despite being, you know, large and hard to tackle and, uh, and, and dual capable, right? Like he just, he hasn't put it all together. If Bo Nix puts it all together and plays like Justin Fields against us, like, yikes, we, we could be in for a rough day. But that's that's the spot where I worry a little bit because it's the type of receiver that has hurt us in the past. It's the type of receiver we struggled to cover in the past, and we're missing our best guy who would take a player like Seth Williams off the board. I think, too, right, by, by extension, obviously probably the single biggest loss of all of the guys who have entered the transfer portal in terms of just the ability to hurt Northwestern football is Eko Leota, right? And I think with Leota out for this game, you're going to see that much more Tommy Adeware. Um And with he and Ernest Brown on the field, you know, it's going to be that much more of a strength-based attack, right? Which is well-suited to defending Auburn because Auburn's going to try to establish the ball, establish the running game, and that's probably the unit you want out there as much as possible, along with Jake and Joe. But it also means that there is potential that we're not going to be getting to Knicks that much. And I think, right, like that's that's where you might see if he's got the ability to sit back there and buy himself time and go after a guy like Williams, then it's going to be on, you know, a Rod Hurd and A.J. Hampton, um, etc., a Cam Ruiz, um, t- to really show out in this game and and make an impact. Um, I think the one other thing that I would add, just from you know an NFL perspective, as long as we're talking about guys showing out, Tank Bigsby is probably a future NFL starting running back. So for our linebackers, um, you know Blake Gallagher, but especially Patty Fisher, this is the kind of game that you know if, if you're if this is your last stop before you go to the NFL, this is the kind of game you really want to show out in. You want good tape against a guy like this that you can carry to those NFL scouts because they will definitely be looking at it. Especially because the talk track right now is Trey Sermon and that Big Ten championship game, right? Right, right. 
Exactly. And I like I like the the part that worries me is so so Ohio State has the second best rated offensive line in the country. Auburn is, you know, many slots below, below that, but still in the teens, far better than any other Big 10 team we played this year. So, like can our defense stand up and focus on and shut down a Bigsby and force Knicks to to throw? I like I think the answer is yes. I think I think you look at Iowa, you look at Wisconsin, it's exactly what we did. We found ways to pressure both of those quarterbacks and impact them so that they couldn't get the ball to their to their targets downfield and we have a a a much easier uh task on the other side of the ball against this defense compared to those defenses, but that's that's the game plan I'm expecting and where where I think where I think needs things need to fall for Northwestern to win. This so I, I'm I'm wondering, John, you right now are in Orlando doing a little advanced scouting. Um, <laughs> what's the weather like? Because I'm looking at the uh, AccuWeather forecast, and it's saying on Friday, 81 degrees, overcast with a thunderstorm possibility, 51 percent chance of rain. Now that would be weird. Now, obviously, Florida weather it comes and it goes. So the question is, if there yeah, is, is, that, a thund- is that a thunderstorm for like Probably. twenty minutes? Exactly, exactly. So I mean, but I mean, certainly warm. I mean, I you know, I'm sure the weather is probably probably good. I mean, and then the question is, so if it if it if the weather was sloppy, you know, how does that affect the game? I think one of the really big things to to remember relative to the Ohio State game, right, is that the wheels kind of fell off for us in the fourth quarter because the offense had a couple of drives that were really short. And that's when Ohio State was able to really lean on us and the fact that the defense was kind of gassed down the stretch, right? Well, that's the exact kind of situation Auburn's hoping for. Auburn's hoping that their defense, through whatever reason, can punch our offense off the field quick a couple plays in a row and they can just control the clock for two or three drives in a row and just gas our defensive line and really kind of push us over. And I think our defense is phenomenal. Obviously, we all know that. But it needs that support from the offense. The offense needs to put a couple of those long drives together um, against the, uh, an Auburn defense that absolutely will allow that to happen. Um, keep the time of possession battle. You know, Either keep it close or just flat out win it. And I think if we can do that, that's going to neutralize all the best things that Auburn can do. And, and that's going to allow us to, to win this one. The one other thing I wanted to throw in, we usually don't talk about this stuff in games. Um, it is worth mentioning, I suppose, that Auburn has one of the best kickers in the country. Um, Anders Carlson is a phenomenal uh, place kicker. 90% of his field goals this year, I think he was either SEC first team or SEC second team. Um, and Auburn's not in this game if they don't have him, because I think he made at least four field goals in that Arkansas game that they really should have lost. Um, and... Yeah, you know, if he doesn't have that game, like they're not even in this bowl and they're not even a winning football team. So it is worth noticing, noting that if if the game is really close, they have a phenomenal kicker. Uh, Bo Nix also punts on occasion, much <laughs> um, like a man after John's own heart. Uh, th- three punts this year, three punts last year, two this year inside the twenty. So that like on a on a third down and 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 forever, or you know, fourth and and medium. Um, just because Bonix is out there doesn't mean that they're not they're not kicking it away. I I appreciate it. I I love the spirit of it. Doesn't make me love Auburn anymore, but I I really appreciate. 
the effort and I appreciate the mentality behind that. Hopefully, even though Gus Malzahn is now gone, the spirit of the punting quarterback will live on. I, I we do need to discuss uh, the Broyles Award before we get out of here, which is just ridiculous. Um, Steve Sarkeesian wins the Broyles Award. You know, good for him. Alabama had a ton of, you know, offensive success this year, but like you can give it to Steve Sarkeesian Aub- any year. Auburn has, uh, Alabama has six skill position starters, uh, six non-offensive line starters. Three of them are Heisman Trophy finalists. Congratulations. What a great coaching job. Yeah, I'd be, and, you know, as you look into, you know, who votes for the Broyles Award, there's like most of the voters have SEC ties. There's only one voter with Big Ten ties. I mean, say what you will, but like Hankowitz got jobbed on this. I mean, 51 years he's been coaching. And, you know, to have this quality defense with, the with on paper guys who you know overperform their their star potential right you know these are guys who are not household names um these are guys who you don't necessarily expect to be hearing their names called day one of the nfl draft but to have the kind of defense that northwestern's put together it you know it it's it's just uh, i can't even put into words how annoyed i am by this yeah, put any other offensive coordinator in the country. Even like give Mick McCall, Mac Jones, and Devonta Smith, and all those offensive linemen and everything else that off, that Auburn has, and they're still going to be wicked awesome on offense. This is a joke. Yeah, it was. It, it's so stupid. Um, and right, I mean there are, there are a million ways to go at this. It's just dumb because obviously, from a human interest standpoint. We all know that giving the award to Mike Hankowitz in his final year from a human, I mean, that's a layup, but whatever, who cares? Like performance with the talent that you were given. Like, are you kidding me? Like this is, I mean, these are all three-star guys, right? He's doing this with all three-star talent, building one of the best defenses in the entire country. Um, And I mean, it's, it's so ludicrous. It's right. Alabama. Great. You did this with all five-star guys. Every one of these guys was top five at his position coming out of high school. Congratulations. You built an awesome offense. It's just, uh, it's stupid. And obviously like we're all really bitter about it, but it's bitter because like, it's one thing to be bitter because our guy didn't get it, but it's another thing to know that our guy should have gotten it and that, Mike Hankwich should be going out as a Broyles Award winner, and he's not. And it's, it's yeah, it leaves a bitter taste in all of our mouths, but he still goes out with one of the very best defenses in the country, and I suppose that's good enough. Um, I'll, you, you briefly mentioned earlier Drake Anderson entering the transfer portal. Again, I, I'm not going to panic about, you know, guys who are transferring out. There is so much that still is unsaid so much still movement good to happen and we don't know who's going to be coming in to take their places i mean there's yes we, we our, our top two running backs going into the season are transferring out sure that on paper is it doesn't look good but cam porter's emerged uh, over the past couple games as a really really strong Another Cincinnati running back coming in to Northwestern. Um, I I just I just want like let me let me paint yeah, another picture please. for y'all. Peyton Ramsey. 
Peyton Ramsey was a starter at Indiana, contributed mightily last season. Was not going to be the starter this year, but like, like few things were more certain than the fact that Michael Penix Jr. was going to get hurt at some point in 2020 and the backup was going to get to play. And like, there are um, like all the things that people are saying right now about, you know, man, I hate to see contributors leaving, even if they were going to be the starter. Like, we got Peyton Ramsey because of that. And Isaiah Bowser and Drake Anderson can absolutely go play somewhere else at the F, you know, whether it's the FCS or the non power five. And they can be not just a contributor, they can be the guy, right? Like, they. They're good football players, and I personally don't think either one is a great fit for what Bajakian wants to do in terms of like the multiple um, skill set that we need at running back. I think they're both a little too uh, too much one trick ponies, and that's not to say anything negative about them. I, bo- I like I love both those guys. They've been awesome for Northwestern. They've they've like the improvement in Drake from last year to this year in terms of his strength, uh, etc. Like. I, I love these dudes. I don't want to see them leave Northwestern, but this is an opportunity. They ha- they both have an opportunity to go to go be the guy somewhere, and it just it makes sense that they should pursue that if they think that that's possible. And they're thinking about their future and their career. And I think I think Northwestern fans are being way too myopic about well, it's Northwestern, and why would you leave Northwestern? And we just won the 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 division, but like. None of that matters if you're trying to make a mark for yourself and you're thinking about the long term of, of, of what your playing career might be. And I'm not suggesting those guys are going to go to the league or something, but it's reasonable they could get paid to play football or, you know, build more connections and go into coaching or what. Like, there's there's a million things to think about, and that's not even talking about any of the stuff we talked last week around pandemic or getting closer to home or all that other that other stuff. So I just, like, it's really important to to – like it's easy to look at the depth chart and it's the first place we're going. And, and, and yes, yes, these guys would still get to play and contribute and be part of a Northwestern team, but maybe they're looking for something more and that's okay. And it's the exact same reason we got Peyton and, Ramsey. I mean, look, look at Ben Skronik, right? Similar situation. I mean, he, he was, yeah, he was starting yeah, going in and, you know, he saw an opportunity would have been, a, would have been a Absolutely. starter this year, regardless of the coaching change. Uh, so he goes to Notre Dame and now he's in the playoff. And he, he contributed a lot to Notre Dame, and you know, wish he, that's awesome. Good for him. You know, he got his degree. To that point, so did Bowser in three years. So hats off to him for getting a degree from Northwestern in three years and grad transferring with two more years of eligibility. That's awesome. Good for you, bud. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think, and two, they're. I mean, short term, it certainly makes the Auburn game interesting because it's going to be Cam Porter and then Evan Hall, and that's it, basically. Um, So, I mean, that's interesting. But next year, your depth chart almost certainly is Cam Porter, Anthony Tyus, Evan Hall, and either one or two backs who will be transferring in who we just don't know who they are yet. Um, And at the very least those guys are going to add really valuable depth to the team. And we don't know where they'll come from. Maybe it's a big guy who, maybe it's a guy from a larger program 
who got buried on the depth chart and you know but he's looking at our back you know our our projected back chart i mean honestly i don't know why he would but looking at it and being like i'm gonna be the best guy coming in hey i'd be like power to you man come in and prove it but more likely you know a guy from a smaller school who had a chance to show out and now knows that Northwestern's looking for depth. And he's thinking, as so many high school guys are thinking right now, dang, I can go to Northwestern and suddenly be a contributor on a power five contender for a potential conference title and certainly a division title, right? So we're going to get at least one of those guys. The The portal taketh away, but the portal also giveth. And we're going to be seeing those guys. So I look at next season and I'm like, Cam Porter, Anthony Tyus, Evan Hall, and players to be named later, like, sign me up. That's awesome. Happy trails to Drake and Bowser. Wish them all the best in the world. Go find the right spot for you. Um, you know, to, to your point, especially, you know, relative to Bowser, you're not, or any guy who's gotten his degree, you're not sacrificing anything academically from Northwestern. You'll take that Northwestern degree with you for the rest of your life. So now go and find yourself the best football place and get the and get the playing time that you deserve. And uh, and at the same time, Northwestern will be fine. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I like you know what we're. We're going to do a deep dive on the squad and try to figure out the ins and outs of what next year's depth chart might look like once we get past the bowl and learn who's graduating and who's staying and all that sort of stuff. And But it's it's going to be a moving target, folks. Like th- There's going to be a lot of movement this year. There's going to be a lot of unknowns. We're really not going to have a good read on who's even on this team until we get to spring ball. And to be um, honest, we're not going to get and, much and, information from that either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I mean that's just the reality of it. But like, we'll we'll put the pieces together as we go. Um, but that that point that John made about you know that there are guys that are going to transfer to Northwestern is is so important to keep in mind. Like Peyton Ramsey, John Rain, uh, Derek Adams, the punter. Like the like like this this Chase Audige is another guy that transferred to Northwestern. Um, and it's you know we haven't talked about this on our last couple of pods, but it's important to know too. Like. There are no transfer penalties this year. You do not have to sit out a year this year. You do not lose any eligibility transferring. You don't need to be a grad transfer. You don't need to have your degree. Like, literally everybody could transfer anywhere they want. So it would make sense that there are more transfers in a year like that. And it's it's a bummer that we're losing some of these names that we've we've gotten so excited about over the past, you know, three, four years. And it is what and it like, is. We're, we're going to find that information right. out pretty quickly. I mean, they're, they're starting to, like names are coming out of guys who are announcing where they're transferring. We're going to know more after this bowl game. We're going to know more leading into the next, like the February signing day. We'll know more after that. Gunnar Maldonado, the the defensive back from Northwestern who transferred, who hit the transfer portal. I think he's already got offers from Tulane and Northern Arizona, which like, if you think about the, like the fact that he's from Arizona, he went to the same high school as Drake Anderson like that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, both in terms of location and the the um, level of those schools that he's looking at when when he was looking at the depth chart at Northwestern and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm I might not get an opportunity here. Like none none of these guys is going to go play for Notre Dame next year. Like, that, and that's not a shot at them. That's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, it's like some it's like again. Northwestern's building a program where we have a bunch of guys 
who are coming in and being like, oh my gosh, look at the talent here. I need to go find a, another opportunity for myself. Um, this is something that routinely happens with the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons of the world, etc. Um, and it's part and parcel with becoming a, a high-profile football team and improving recruiting, etc. It's, it's part of the game. And again, it's like, you know, the, what, what you hope for is that these guys who transfer out, especially guys that we love that have given their all for us, find the best place. And I think you're going to see that a guy like Bowser, a guy like Drake, the offers are going to show up for them and they're going to find a good fit. So let's all calm down, take a deep breath. Like I tell my daughter all the time, just take a breath, let's relax, and let's see where this goes. Because a lot of ink is left to be written here on you know what next year is going to look like. So... Let's settle down, focus on Friday, uh, focus on beating Auburn, uh, and, and we'll go from there. And, and that's what we'll do here, too. I mean, there's a, a lot to talk about. And we haven't even mentioned the women's team. Uh, you know, we've, we've been going a, a while tonight, and, you know, the women are playing amazing. And we, we haven't spent much time on them. And that's going to change starting next week for sure. Right, exactly. And I think they're right. It's right now. Their, their games are appointment viewing. And if it's not appointment for you viewing for you, you should put it in your calendar. I believe they New play Year's on Eve, 1 o'clock yeah. I mean, Central we, uh, Big Ten Network against Nebraska. You got to watch these ladies. They're phenomenal. They're so, it's, they're so much fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, we'll get deep into that. But, right, for now, let's let's put a Citrus Bowl trophy on the mantelpiece. Um and put a cap to an awesome football season, and right then we then we can make our formal pivot to what is suddenly going to be a really exciting basketball season um, that we're going to get to enjoy for uh, several months. Well, uh, this being our last episode of 2020, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates, and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Slot of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.